Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At Leia Healthcare, we always want to give our members more. So now you get unrestricted access to a world of benefits that will help you stay healthy. From convenient video calls with a GP to get prescriptions online, to easy access to experts when you finally want to do something about your ropey knee or dodgy back. And if you do need to see someone urgently, our clinics are available for minor injuries, all without you needing to put your hand in your pocket. Let's stay on top of your health in every way. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Insurance provided by Ellipse Insurance Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Unrestricted benefits are available until the end of December. Fair usage policy applies. Yes, open goal in the Granite City with Aberdeen's favourite loon. Big rusty drawers, Russell Anderson. Thanks for coming on, mate. No problem. I need to make a confession to you. You're only my second favourite Aberdeen player of all time. After? Duncan Shearer. Duncan but Shearer, he's not allowed to come at the house when any over 10 degrees because he gets sunstroke. So. Today's not a good day for Duncan. The last month hasn't been a good no. day. For him, so. <laughs> Sitting red draw on his house, isn't he? I must say as well, mate, you've got lovely cheekbones. Can I just say that before we start? Quite high, aren't they? Uh -huh, they are quite high. Quite <laughs> yeah. Scandinavian, uh -huh. um, Getting quite excited. Right, on to the career, big boy. Yes. Um, grew up an Aberdeen fan? Yeah. And what, they just pick you up playing boys club? Standards. Nothing really uh, out of the ordinary. Playing for the school, playing for the boys club. Got asked to go in and train with them once a week. When I was about 14, or maybe just more earlier than that, um, signed the S form, stayed with them for a couple of years until I got offered a contract when I left school at 16. So, yeah. Was that always what you wanted to do, be a footballer? Uh, I think so. I think at the time you don't really think overly about it. You just like playing football and then you get an opportunity to go and train with the club, so you think this is great. Um, and then the, the older you get, I suppose, you do think, well, maybe there is a chance here for, to go, for me to go and do it. Um, and then when you get the the opportunity then, why wouldn't you, do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, um, yeah, always something I wanted to do and to be honest, I think Aberdeen were the only team that were interested oh, in it. So, I think so. There was a couple others sniffing about, but um, I wasn't one of these lucky ones who had four or five clubs looking for, take you down to different places and stuff. So it was, um, it was really Aberdeen for me. But were you always earmarked as the guy at Aberdeen that they thought would, would go and do it? Mm, I don't think so. And I, I can see that now because um, I know that there's the way that the academy system works now, they'll get them in really young. And there's some players that they'll earmark early doors that they think, I think they've got a really good chance. I don't think I was in that category, to be honest. Yeah. Um, late developer, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Someone always asks defenders and centre halves, did you always want to be a centre half? No way. Well, no, because I started off as a midfielder, um, signed as a midfielder, but. It was the first season we were actually playing. Had a few injuries. Um, to be honest, I was struggling to get into the team ahead of a few other players. There was one game the manager said, it was Neil Cooper at the time, we're going to play you centre-half and see how you do. And I did okay, which then, you know what football's like. You, you then find yourself playing there more regularly. Um, and that's where it came from. So I, I didn't start out as a defender, kind of ended up there by default. You said Neil Cooper there. How good was an education with that? Guys like him coaching you as a kid? Yeah, he was um, very good. Uh, there was a couple of them at the time. 
that's how it was weird back then. It was different. Um, at the time, you didn't have the academy system, so you had the likes of Drew Jarvie, who was assistant manager of the first team, taking us on a Tuesday night, which just, to my knowledge, doesn't really happen anymore because they've got that many academy teams that they kind of get around to see all of them. So we had a good ground in there in terms of the coaching you got. Uh, Neil Cooper was one of them. Yeah, it was good coaching that you got, yeah. Would these guys treat you like men, even at that young age? Hi. <laughs> In other words, I you got you got the hairdryer now and again if you needed it, but it it was part of growing up, I suppose. Think that's missing for the game now. To an extent, yeah. And would you like to see it go back to the way it was, as you say, with less no, coaches and maybe not back to the way I wouldn't say because I think a lot of it because I've I've played under managers that do both sides of it, and I think there's a place for it, but I think do it all the time and it loses its impact. But I think now and again, I think boys have to realise that it doesn't come easily to them. Um, and I think that's probably systematic of life today, actually. It does seem to be coming off a lot easier to, to kids these days. I know my two are guilty of that, and I know plenty of others that are. Oh, my two are assholes, mate. So you signed at 16. When did you start to think, I've got a wee chance here, I'm, I'm, sta I'm starting well, to do quite well? It was strange, because initially, like I said, probably struggled a little bit. Um, then I got an opportunity to play at the, the back. Um, there was the reserve game one evening against Falkirk in the, the, the good old days when you did have reserve football. Um, he played a young team that night. Tommy Craig was down. I remember him, a really young team, but we actually did okay. I think we lost the game 1-0, but there was enough there, I think, to show them that some of us deserved maybe a, more of an opportunity in the reserves and started to play more games. And after that, it happened pretty quickly. So the initial bit was actually a bit of a slow burner, but once I got into the reserves, um, Got more involved with that and then you started to train with the first team more regularly and then got involved with the first team squad match days and stuff so um it was i i don't think i was earmarked right from the outset in that yeah. now looking at the bugle it's had a few bashes in it quite a few some yeah. of the big strikers that you played in the reserves who were some of the boys that gave you a tough time i'm trying to think uh or even in first team i training. remember one of them i really do remember rangers at home it was a saturday afternoon so the first team were down at ibrox um, so the manager took a fairly big squad down there, as you would expect. We played Rangers at Pataudry. Um, myself, I think, Dennis Wynas, um, there was a few other younger ones. We had a very young team that day, and they had about nine or ten internationalists playing for the reserve team. Wow. That was back in the day when Eric Bo Anderson and all that were playing. So you're, you're looking at the team lines thinking, wow, this could be, a, this could be an interesting afternoon. Um, that was probably the one game that you recall that uh, you were really tested at that level, um, which doesn't happen now because they haven't got big enough squads, to be honest. So um, I think the result, I think we lost 2-1 that day, um, but gave a good enough account of ourselves. And it, it did give you a little taste for wanting to do to more and get more of a competition against those kind of players. Uh, leading up to your debut, were you aware that you would be making your debut? Was it no. just totally flung in? The day of the game, Stuart McKimmy had been playing. I'd been in and about the squad for a few games, but just on the bench. Um, so, picking up the win bonus here, thinking, didn't realise at the time that you actually got a win bonus for sitting on the bench. I think it's changed days now, you maybe don't get that so often. Um, and the day of the game, I went in there thinking that the team had been doing okay. So, I thought, well, I'll probably, if I'm lucky, be on the bench again. Um, manager pulled me in about half past one to say that Stuart had failed a fitness test and he was going to throw me in. So, I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. Shit the bed. Did you? <laughs> I briefly, and then I thought, well, you've got to get your head around this. And you were looking forward to it because you'd been waiting for it, but not expecting it. Um, and the next little bit, you just go back into your routine of trying to prepare for the game like you would for any other one, obviously knowing it's probably the biggest game you've played so far. And was there advice given to you before your debut, or was it just go on and get on with it? Um, probably just... You were getting advice all the time to an extent. So in terms of that, it was the usual. You would probably find yourself saying to young boys, now just take it like any other game and do what you've been doing, those kind of things. So yeah. nothing specific. Um, it was a tough time for Aberdeen when you made your debut. Was yeah. that a good thing or a bad thing? Obviously, it gave you your chance, but was it, was it hard playing in a struggling team? Character building, I think you would call it. Um, that first game, I actually sold the jerseys for the first goal. Did you? <laughs> made an arse at one of the clearances <laughs> and they went and scored from it. So you're coming off the pitch thinking, oh, Christ. That could have gone better. Um, but at the time, yeah, it was not long after they'd won the League Cup against Dundee in 95. It was a couple of years after that. Um, Roy Aitken had initially done really well as a manager and then found it a little bit more difficult. Um, so it was 
I think at that time you're just trying to concentrate on your own game. It sounds selfish, but as a young boy just going into the team, you're just trying to think of actually how you can contribute to it. Um, and obviously you want the team to do well, um, but I think you are very early doors just trying to focus, making sure that you're doing all right and deserving of your place in the team. You say you made that mistake. Would the older boys go through you after the game? No, they didn't. Um, I think the more you're probably in that, then you probably would get it, but um, not at the time, no. They probably felt like doing it, but no, they were fine. Is that the good thing about being in a struggling team? So if you'd made a mistake at maybe a bigger club, that'd be your chance away. But was it good that you... Possibly. I mean, the rest of the game, I actually played okay, but as a defender, all it takes is one mistake and you, you can lose a goal. Um, the fact that Stuart was injured for a little bit longer than that, I think if he'd been fit the following game, it's only natural to assume that he would have come back into the team. He was captain at the time. So from that point of view, I was lucky enough that um, there wasn't anyone really as a direct replacement for him other than myself. So um, so yeah, would I stayed in the team if he'd become fit again? Probably not. What was it about that Alex Miller's time? Why did he, why think he struggled? Uh, Come on, tell us. Tactically, I think he... It was funny because I remember playing Celtic game and he was really in it tactically. And that's probably the one thing I've learned since I've started to get involved with Fer Martin. That it's, um, the training and that in managing players, I think, is the tactical side of it takes a, a bit of getting used to. And I think you can always actually improve that side of it. And I think he did try to outthink opponents at times and there was a couple of times it just didn't work, to be honest. I think there was one game against St Johnston, we played a 4-2-2-2-2. Is that 10 or 12 outfield? I can't <laughs> think. Um, and we had no width in the team and it didn't work. And I could see on paper why he was wanting to do it, but in the cold light of day, it just didn't work. Um, I think, I don't think the fans ever really bought into him either, to be honest. He wasn't one of these managers that straight away grabbed the attention, the imagination of the, the punters. I don't know who, who would, to be honest. Um, think Mark McGee did when I wasn't here but so it shows it can work one or two ways to be fair but um, a few different reasons I mean he made good signings at the time he signed Craig Hignett and Higgy started off on fire for us really good player um, and a couple of other ones Ian Jess was back at that point yeah, that's the air conditioning coming on there you go mate you can take that jacket no chance <laughs> <laughs> um, so we did have a makings of a good team but we just couldn't put it all together uh -huh. was he a ball on shooter? He was a bit, but I've, I've had worse. Uh -huh. uh, so Paul Hegarty came in, yes. kept the club up, yeah. done a great job. Do you think he should have got the job full-time? I think he probably should have, yeah. Why do you think he Part of me thinks it was down to the result of last game of the season against Hearts at home. We'd actually been doing well enough, and nothing had been confirmed, but the rumour was that he was going to get the opportunity to stay on an extended stay at the club. And we lost the last game at Hearts at home 5-2 which I don't know if that had any influence on the outcome of it, but it seemed to be that the general feeling was up until the end of the season, it looked as if Eggie was going to be in for next season, and then the decision was made to go and get somebody else. So you can only surmise that maybe that any lingering doubt was maybe reinforced by that bad result the last game of the season. What did he do that made things better? Um, probably simplified things. In terms of, I'm talking about the tactical Formations side of it before. Ahead. Yeah. Um, just went back to basics, to be honest, which is what I think you probably do need when you're going through a, a tough spell, worked on the boys' fitness, went for experience, um, a settled team. Um, and the results, you know what it's like if you get one result and the confidence starts to return, second result, and before you know it, you're looking like a different team, although you know there are still areas that need to be improved. Um, which, like I say, end of the season, that last game kind of demonstrated that the, the team still needed work. But Eggy did a good job, actually. Felt he was, he was a great player, Paul Higgett, wasn't he? He was. Was he good for young guys like you coming through? He was. He was really enthusiastic, infectious, um, really good. Because I worked with Eggy at Scotland under 17s or something, I, just briefly. So I had had a, a taste of what his coaching and his man management skills were like. And, for that time there, I thought he was he was good. So what was your thoughts when you heard that big Evie Skoldal was getting the job? <sighs> Who? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I didn't really know anything about him. Uh, nobody did. I remember getting a phone call from a couple of journalists when I was on holiday saying, oh, you've appointed a new manager. Um, 
some Danish boy, Ibs, Govdal, and you're like, well, I don't know anything about him. Um, it was a lot more difficult back then to get, it's so easy to get information these days about anybody. Um, but back then, you absolutely nothing about him. Um, so you didn't know what to think, to be fair. But good, good experience with Bromby and, and teams like that? Well, the CV kind of said that you'd done well at Bromby, yeah. Uh -huh. um, been successful enough. Uh, but other than that, seen other people's CVs before and it's not something you should really go on. Uh -huh. And so what were your first impressions of him when he came in? <laughs> Different. <laughs> what would he do? Um, I think initially the language barrier, is, English was fine, but it wasn't obviously as natural natural language and so he found it a little bit more difficult I think to try and explain what he wanted boys to do in the training pitch um, I can only imagine me going over to Denmark and trying to speak Danish to people just it's going to be more difficult um, his training was parts of it I liked other parts I didn't what um, parts did you know like um, smoking <laughs> <laughs> happened all the time um, it's just certain routines and drills you know what it's like um, some of the bits and pieces you think, oh, I'm not sure, actually. I don't think this is doing us any good, to be fair. But like anything, you just get your head down and you get on with it. And you don't, you don't question them. Um, other bits I actually did like. There was bits and pieces that I've actually used have used a couple of times for Martin. So, uh -huh. yeah. And would he pull you in and tell you you were part of his plans? Or was, was he that sort of manager? Um, did he? I think he did. Um, because it was... He made a huge amount of changes over that time. There was <laughs> literally busloads of boys coming in on trial because he was obviously trying to mix it up, shake it up a little bit. And he wasn't obviously really knowledgeable at the Scottish market, so he was looking further afield for that, which made Monday mornings interesting when you came into the changing room and there was someone else sitting at your peg and you're thinking, oh, here we go, more trialists in. And some of them actually turned out to be okay, but there was plenty that came and went. Does that worry you as a player when you see that happening? It's just part of the game, isn't it? You just, you know, um, there were quite a few that were, that were moved on. Um, and it was, like I say, there was quite a high turnover of players at that point. Because you finished bottom of the league that year? No, I just dodged it because Falkirk Stadium wasn't good enough and finished bottom and made two cup finals. It was, uh, it wasn't a great season. As much as we got to two cup finals, um, it wasn't a great season. See, when things are going bad like that with the foreign manager, do, do the boys speak to him about like, things that they think can improve or things that aren't right? Uh, I think they tried. Uh, Whitey was manager, sorry, manager, uh, captain at that like point. Derek uh, White. White, yeah. Uh -huh. And Jim Layton was there as well. And I think they, they did try and speak to him, along with a couple of other more experienced players. But to be honest, he was very single-minded and I think he felt his way was the right way. So um, I'll put it in the the box and just leave it for later. <laughs> was, he, uh, was he a bit unorthodox off the pitch as well, as you said, the smoking and yeah, any um, stories that stand up? <laughs> there was a, a table in the changing room um, that was just there for put kit on and anything. And he started, the, the more he got comfortable speaking English, um, he would try and pick up sayings from anyone who he was speaking to. And they started to kind of creep into his team talks now and again. So, but he, he wouldn't get the sayings right. So, um, the team talks—that was one thing that I didn't particularly like. Would last about an hour and a half on a Saturday before. So, you had players actually falling asleep, not feeling energized about going out to the game and um, enthusiastic about it. He started using these expressions that he picked up from other people, but didn't say them right. So I think there was one Monday morning, there was, a, like I say, a table in the changing room, and somebody wrote one of the expressions on the table. And um, it was stupid. You would probably have to be there to find it funny. Mm. But then the more the expressions came every week or every training session, boys would add it to the table. So by the end of the season, we had a full table of these expressions that only we knew what meant. He thought he knew what they meant, but they didn't. Mm -hmm. And there was one day he was walking through the changing room, we stopped and he looked at it and started reading them all and the penny dropped it, the boys were taking the piss out of it. <laughs> <laughs> was he reading? He wasn't too bad, to be honest. He was all right. I think he had a, a reasonable sense of humour, but um, uh, he was um, he was interesting. Uh -huh. Did you expect him to lose his job when you finished bottom league? <sighs> Funnily enough, no, because it was almost as if they saw it as a, a bigger project and he was making steps towards whatever the ultimate goal was of um, 
making the club great again. Do you know what I mean? So as much as that sounds weird, any other manager probably would have been sacked. I never ever felt that he was under threat, to be honest. It was strange. Um, do you think he should have been sacked? Huh? Probably. Mm-hmm. Probably. When you look at other managers who have been sacked for less at Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. But, and, uh, I don't know. A lot of it comes down to timing. Um, perceptions at the time of certain managers and, and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if they felt that... I mean, in fairness to the board, they've backed him totally. Um, it, it is very easy, I think, sometimes to sack managers when they've had a few bad results. So they certainly couldn't be criticised for being trigger-happy and getting rid of him. They gave him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, that time, there was a, a few young players coming through. Yourself, McNaughton, Mackey, Essen. Good time to be coming through with, with your pals? Yes. They were all a couple of years younger than me, um, but... Funnily enough, I was playing a game Friday night, a charity one, and Kevin McNaughton was playing in it. He's still fit as ever. Mm-hmm. He's um, the only boy I've seen that can go out on a Saturday night. No, it was a Tuesday night. And then do the bleep test the next day and just run riot with it. He's a fit, fit boy. After being steaming the night before, I huh? uh, Right, and proper steaming as well. Brilliant. Um, but he's a good lad. Um, but it was a good time to come through. There was a lot that you, you knew from going through the youth team. They had a successful youth team, actually. There was... Must have been about seven or eight of them that came through, I think, did they win the cup? Which Aberdeen haven't done, I think, since. Mm-hmm. Um, so although I was there or thereabouts at the same time, like I say, most of them were a couple of years younger than me. The only one that came through the same time with me, it was my age, was Darren Young. Um, Darren Young, yeah. So myself and Daz came through the same youth team together. His brother Derek, Chris Clark, Michael Hart, Kevin McNaughton, Ryan Essen. It was quite a few of them that came through from that younger team and they had a good youth team and it was good to have them in the changing room and actually be part of the team. Would you all go out in Aberdeen on Saturday yeah. nights and stuff like that? Huh? Occasional Tuesday. Do you ever wear Jim Layton's Vaseline on your eyebrows now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that's never started. Um, no. How good was he, Jim Layton? Brilliant, huh? Uh, yes. It was funny because I think Jim was about 40 when he came back mm-hmm. um, and that was one of the things that when call him the Scove, but Ebb Scovedale, um, who did pre-season, he made no allowances for Jim's age or his position, so Jim had to do the same running as everyone else did. So we're doing these three-minute runs, you'd have three minutes to run, three-minute recovery. Jim would take six minutes to do the run. So by the time he got back, we were ready to go again, so Jim just kept running for the full whack, and he spoke to the manager about it and said, well, but he, he didn't give him any leeway at all, was, and that was my point about him being very single-minded. Once he decided what somebody was doing, that was it. But no, Jim was really good at uh-huh. the time. One guy I wanted to ask you about was uh, a madman, Dean Windass. <laughs> what was he like to play with? Dino was, probably that is the, the best way to describe him. Um, he was good to have in the changing room. He was lively, shall we say. What sort um, of stuff would he do? Good player. Some of it was, you just think, me, Dino. Um, you think, I'll oh, just give us a yard kind of thing, mm-hmm. but um, he was just loud. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably the best way to do it. Um, and uh, he, was, he was a good player and he started off really well for us, but the longer he was there, I think for whatever reason, different managers and stuff. I remember the, the, the game that Roy Aitken lost to United 5-0, Dino got sent off, and then he got sent off again for throwing the corner flag into the crowd. And, um, I almost got the impression he was playing up to the punters as much as anything. Was he, uh, was he quite like that, huh? Mm. Yeah. And, um, and that was Roy Aitken's last... Now, that wasn't the reason. The, the team had been struggling anyway, to be honest. Um, but that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the last game that Roy was in charge. I actually got sacked after that. But um, for his time that he was here, he was a bit of a cult hero, to be honest. Punters loved him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was. He was a good player. How would the foreign boys find guys like, like him and maybe Kev McNaughton, who was a bit wild? Um, aye, a bit unusual. Although saying that, I've played with a few foreign boys at like a night out as well. So I think this, this perception that Scottish boys just love a night out and they're unprofessional and everyone else is um, very professional. I think everybody these days is more professional than they used to be, but I certainly remember back in the day there were a few boys um, from overseas that knew how to have a night out. And Would Big Ebby scored that going? <laughs> no. Nah, never yeah. nah. Not right. worse anyway. 2001-2002, uh, finished fourth. Yeah. How good was that year for both the team and I think you had a great season yourself, didn't you? Um, 
that was the season I was just coming back from Macrucia, I think. I did my knee in the Scottish Cup final 2000 and uh, it took my while to get back from it. So yeah, just getting back into the team at that point, it was obviously much better than what they'd been used to for a couple of seasons. Um, and you know what it's like, if you're playing a team that's winning more times and losing, it's a hell of a lot more enjoyable than being bottom of the league. Um, so no, it was good. Um, I think the players enjoyed it, um, but it was more of a, I would say, I think the foreign players that did play became more used to the, the league and the team in the city. I think it does take time for people to settle in if they've moved from overseas. And some of the, the local boys as well had a, bit, a big influence on the results as well. So it actually moulded them a reasonable team. Who was the top man in that? Who'd have been the top man in that team, aren't you? Uh, 2001, geez, you're testing my memory now. Um, Robbie Winters would have been there. Um, like I say, Whitey was there. Kevin McNaughton, um, was that when Isham was there? Isham's, Isham was a great player. Was he? Uh, box of tricks. Um, you didn't see it that often, but I remember his debut against St Mirren at Love Street in Scottish Cup third round. And he, um, I can't remember who he was playing against, but honestly, he told him, told him a new one. It was, um, and you think, Jesus, we've got somebody here. What a player. I don't know where they actually managed to find him. Um, because, like I say, it was one of these that, an overseas player, foreign agent, I don't know. So I don't know where he'd come from, but he had um, great natural ability. He had a bit of ability, huh? Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Derek White there. How good was he, obviously, as a centre-half captain of the club? Helped you a lot, huh? He was good um, to me. For all the young boys, actually, because for a while it was quite a young changing room, so he took it upon himself to kind of be the, the father figure, I suppose, and he liked the night out as well. Right? He, he knew how to enjoy himself, but he also knew when... It, work hard and he was good character um, and uh, yeah he was an important player figure in the changing room at the club at that time um, yeah I think that a lot of the young boys looked up to him including myself what sort of stuff would he just pull you aside and tell you things you were doing wrong and things uh, you were doing that, but he would also take the piss out of you in a nice way as well which is mm -hmm. standard banter in the changing room to be honest mm -hmm. but yeah he, he knew the time to actually pull you aside and have a word with you um, or actually go through you if you felt that you needed it. Um, just picking the right signs, the right times to actually do what's necessary. One thing I need to ask you about is the Steve Patterson era. Somebody <laughs> told me it was after he watched you boys in training, he drove him to drink. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he was already there, to be fair. Could you, um, did you know that straight away? No, no. Why Although I, I kind of knew him beforehand. My um, oh, brother-in-law... Um, my father-in-law, I should say, was assistant manager to Steve at Huntley for a few years. So they knew him really well. I didn't know him so well, but I met him a couple of times when I'd been with my, my wife or my father-in-law. Um, he's honestly so much time for him. He's a really nice boy. I didn't realise at the time he liked a, a drink. Um, still didn't really, overly, um, because he did, I suppose, he didn't flaunt it initially when he came to the club. I'm sure people that knew him well knew that he liked to drink, but I didn't really know him that well. Um, and then obviously the infamous night that he went out the, the Friday before the game and the Saturday missed the game. And then obviously everything came out off the back of that, which was a shame to see actually, because I felt sorry for him. Um, um, front up in front of the cameras on the Monday um, after that, I think it was Dundee they played. Um, I felt really sorry for him actually. Was he a good manager? I think he was. I'm just not sure if he realised how big a job it was at Aberdeen um, because the scrutiny is here definitely. There's obviously bigger jobs in Aberdeen and there'll be plenty of people that would argue and I'm not going to argue with them, but in terms of coming from Inverness um, and prior to that Huntley to then coming to Aberdeen, I don't think he realised how much bigger a club it was. Mm -hmm. It's a shame for a minute. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Did you speak to him when he left? Uh, no, because we didn't know it was actually happening. We went away on holiday, season finished. Um, I remember just before the end of the season, actually, Duncan Shearer pulled me aside and said, look, things have got to be better next season. I'm like, well, I completely agree. We've all got to take a bit more responsibility and make sure that we have a better season. So I think they, well, they knew themselves that things had to be better. Um, so we went away on holiday thinking, well, yeah, let's prepare go away, 
rest up. We'll come back next season and we'll see what we can do. And then a few days later, you just heard the news again. One of the journalists said that the manager's been sacked. Willie Muller's come in, uh, director of football, and he's obviously decided to go down a different route and he appointed Jimmy Calderwood. Do you have a good relationship with Willie Muller? It was okay. I didn't really have that much to do with him, to be fair. Um, Would he never ask the players what they thought? Or, or stuff occasionally, like that? occasionally, but you didn't see him. I think that was the one of the things that he was actually good at because he'd obviously appointed Jimmy Calderwood. I'm not sure if this was intentional or if he f just the way that he worked. I don't think he felt he wanted to be intruding on the manager uh, and stepping on his toes. So he, he was very much let Jimmy get on with it. And, um, Jimmy did really well initially, yeah. Uh -huh. Big character. <laughs> he kept hearing stories um, because he'd been in a couple of days before everyone came back. And you know what, like, some of the players will come in beforehand, maybe the day before, to make sure everyone's sorted. They kid themselves on, they'll go into the gym and do a run and stuff. And you'd heard, um, oh, geez, you should see the colour of the new calf. <laughs> <laughs> he's been in holiday for six weeks. To, um, Where was it? Magaluf, is it? He's got a pub behind. Yeah, Santa Ponza, I think. Um, and then we're all sitting in the changing room that first Monday and then the door like booms open and then he walks you're thinking, wow, what a colour, unbelievable. What, what was his first words to you, do you remember now? I can't remember, but he was very positive and that's just the way he was. He wasn't a shrinking violet anyway, he was a um, big character. He was a leather man, wasn't he? You can make a suitcase out of him. Um, <laughs> How much a relief though when somebody's so po after the Patterson and the Skodal thing, how, how much a relief when a guy like Jimmy Calderwood walks in the door? Well, you've had that many managers, I don't know, maybe I was guilty for some of them, that over such a short period of time, you just want a little bit of um, stability, to be honest. And again, hadn't worked under Jimmy at all, so really didn't know. Look at his CV and you think, well, he's done a good job at Dunfermline. Um, everyone spoke about the attacking football that he, he employed. Um, loved his 244 or whatever it was. Um, and um, so you're thinking, well, it's got the makings of being a good manager, but until you actually start working with him again, you just, you don't know. Um, but no, initial thoughts were really good. Mm -hmm. um, good first pre-season, and we had a difficult start to it. I think we had Rangers at home, which is probably reminiscent of this one other way around, the first game of this coming season, Rangers' new manager, Aberdeen, at Pataudry. Um and you think, well, that's actually a tough spell because the season before we'd finished 11th. And you're thinking, right, how much better can we do with a new manager? Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. He signed a couple of players, Baznik, uh, Seve, uh, Steve Lovell, Jamie Smith. So good players. Good players, but he also had some good players already there. And he was just trying to get more out of them. Um, I think we went unbeaten first five or six games, to be honest. We drew the Rangers' first game, I think, was it 0-0? Went away to Dunfermline, 1-1-0. Um, I think we went about four or five games without conceding a goal. Um, and it set the 
I suppose, set the scene um, for what was a much better season. How big was he on team spirit? Very big, very good. He did this thing, um, funnily enough, we were speaking about it the other night, pre-season, he would give everyone a list of the fixtures when we were away to, to, to Holland because everyone knew that he loved taking us back there. Mm. Um, he did it with Dunfermline. So he would go through the fixtures and he said, right, for every game that we've got this season, I want you to put your um, points, what you think you'll get out of each game and see where we're finishing the season. So everyone's looking at them. You're thinking, in the cold light of day, you look at every game, you think, well, that could be winnable. But at the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, we're not, they're not that good. We're not going to win every single game because that's standard, isn't football. I think Michael Hart had this coming out with 106 points <laughs> and won the league by a bit marks. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> um, you look at it and you think, I could see his thinking behind it. You go into every game thinking you could win, but it was a good way, I think, of making the boys realise, actually, we could do all right this season. It was just trying to change the mindset of the players to think more positively. You should be looking to win every game that you go into. Um, and I think it kind of summed up most of his time at the club. Would that be his mentality, even Celtic and Rangers would be going to win this game? To an extent, yeah. Um, I mean, he wouldn't go gung-ho straight away, but there were certainly games where you're thinking we're up against it. Right, we've got nothing to lose now, so we might as well just actually have a go at it and see. Um, and we did that a couple of times, and it worked. Other times it didn't. I remember we played Rangers away, second in the league. If we'd beaten them, we'd gone top. And... Um, so all the papers, you know the build-up to it, the usual rubbish. And um, I think they were two up. That's what it was. They were two nil up. And was it Jamie Langfield was in goals? Now, for some reason, I think Jamie had been injured in the game. So he was fit enough to play, but not fit enough to kick. So we were taking goal kicks for him. Just kicking it right down the middle of the pitch. Big Marvin Andrews was coming to head it right back down the middle as he does. Mm -hmm. But by the time whoever was taking the goal kick was getting out, they didn't get out in time. So the centre forward was actually standing basically the edge, edge of the box. And he was, we ended up getting pumped 5 0. <laughs> and at 2 0, he said, Right, okay, we're going for it, 2 4 4. And you probably would have thought at that point, I will we just kind of batten down the hatches and take it on the chin and lose 2-0, but he's like, no, nah, we're going for it. So rather than losing 2-0, he would rather have gone for it and we ended up getting our arses felt 5-0. So was that for certain views as it had? It was slightly that day, yeah. Uh -huh. But that was the way he managed it. Um, you can't really have a go, can you? You talked about Holland in that pre-season. Would, would you just have a night out together? Would he come out? Yeah, um, that was the standard uh, trip that you would have a... Was it maybe 10 days you were away? I can't remember. And it was hard nine or 10 days. And the last day, the last night actually, you would drive back to Amsterdam and get a night out in Amsterdam before you flew back in the morning. Um, so it was, um, everyone would go out together and you know what, like they would probably go off in their own separate way. But initially, yeah, we weren't out together. Yeah. Do you like that? Do you like that sort of stuff, the manager yeah. coming out with the boys? Huh? I think to an extent, I think you've got to draw the line at some point, definitely, but I think, now and again, I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, how good was Jimmy Nicholl to balance off uh, Jimmy Codd? Good coach? Yeah, um, really liked him. He was so enthusiastic about football um, and really good knowledge of the game. Um, they worked really well together, actually. Um, a lot of time for Jimmy. I saw it was a couple of seasons ago when um, they just qualified for the Euros because he was helping Michael and was the assistant manager. I can't remember what his title was. And he, I remember him saying, I can't believe in my last 12 months I've gone from driving the bus at Cowdenbeath for the young boys to going to the Euros. And that was just Jimmy. He just loved football. Didn't really care who he was coaching, um, what level. Um, he just loved his football. Still does. Could uh, Big Calderwood, could he go for, go for it? Like, go for somebody? Aye. Mm -hmm. Do you, you ever get on the receiving end? Uh, once or twice, yeah. Not a lot, but yeah. Uh -huh. And was he scary now? Nah. Too lovable? Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, under Jimmy Calderwood, you got your Kering Cup. Yeah. You won the Kering Cup. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, what did you get from winning it? Was it a medal or HMV vouchers? No HMV. They got HMV in Tokyo. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, did we get a medal? I think we did. Um, it's a good trip, that, actually. There was a... I don't think any of the old firm players went because they had the cup final, right. so they all pulled out. So it was basically a B team that went. Um, we played Bulgaria and Japan, and we pumped Bulgaria 5-1. Boydie scored. Did he score a hat-trick? 
definitely scored. Um, and then we played Japan the second game, we drew nil-nil. So it was after the World Cup, so the stadiums were great. It was a good trip, actually. Got a night out at the end of it in Tokyo, which was decent enough as well. So, good, eh? yeah, Who was the characters in that team, can you remember? I'm trying to think, because like I say, it was a, oh, it was a strange squad, because a lot of the, you would call the regulars, weren't in it. All the, none of the old firm players were there, um, because obviously they had the cup final to, uh, to focus on. Um, I'm trying to think who... Was it Walter Smith, the manager? Yeah, and Archie Knox helped him out that, um, that trip. How did you find they two? Um, really liked Walter. Um, hadn't come across him before, obviously. He um, took the, the Scotland job after Barty votes. Um, but he, again, like I was speaking about going back to basics for a team that was struggling, he basically did that and rebuilt the confidence of the players. And it was like night and day from the time that he went in until the end of that campaign, the, the team was actually unrecognisable in terms of the way it was playing and the confidence of the players. But he did a really good job. What did you make of that Bertie vote train? Again, it was, it was interesting. Um, just little bits and pieces, like on a Friday night, he would get the boys down uh, to the, the suite just to try and relax them before the game on the Saturday. And there would be a couple of beers just for the boys to have a drink and nobody really ever took it on because they just didn't feel comfortable doing it. So he tried a couple of different things um, that I hadn't seen before. That was probably a perfect example of it. Mm. But overall, again, really high turnover of players. The amount of players that he went through trying to find a settled team, um, I don't think helped, to be honest. And it probably he had his best spell when he actually found a settled team. Um, made the playoffs but didn't quite make it through. Did you love playing for Scotland? Did you love when you get called up? Yeah, uh -huh. I did. Um, it was good, although towards the end there were, a, well, the last trip actually, um, we're playing Czech Republic away. And I was down in England at that point and the English league had finished a couple of weeks before the Scottish one. So we'd been asked to go up to Lesser Hamden and train for three or four days just to keep ticking over. There was four of us turned up for three training sessions. I'm thinking, this, this is not great. But you kind of just took it in the chin. You thought, right, we'll come back the following week when everyone met up. So then that was more normal. Um, but there was only still about 16 players that travelled because, you, you know what, like the usual call-offs, end of a season. Um, boys are carrying injuries and the, play the clubs and the players would rather probably look after anything for the start of the following season. So we went to the Czech Republic and it was just a friendly. Um, and at that point there, I think there was 15 of us, so there was four subs. And um, I never got on that day and I thought, the other three did and I'm thinking, I, I knew coming back from that trip that I thought my time was coming to an end of George Burley was the manager, which was fine and true enough. Um, I think the following squad, I wasn't in it, and then I got injured after that, so I never got the opportunity again to, to find out. So. See, just on the back of the Graham Shinney stuff, last year, no getting picked, is it frustrating when you're playing for Aberdeen and, and you seem to get overlooked when you maybe think you're playing really well? Um, I think it all depends. I mean, deep down, at, at the time Walter Smith was manager, he took Davy Weir back into the team. Um, I can't remember who else played along with Davy, but Davy did really well around about time. So if you're competing with other players that are in the team and doing well, then sometimes you've just got to hold your hands up and think, well, I've just got to wait my, for my opportunity. And sometimes it just doesn't come. I think for the likes of Shinny, he probably has deserved a chance, to be honest, at least even to, to prove himself in the squad. And then hopefully get a game to show what you can do because I think sometimes you don't truly find out what a player can do until you throw them in there. Now, not all players will actually be able to, to step up, but you'll never know if they can sink or swim unless you give them the chance. Mm -hmm. Right, on uh, leaving Aberdeen. Yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> um, because I think it was the start of the the spell in Scottish football where I think people realised that the money was coming to, to an end. So clubs have been spending money that they couldn't afford. Um, 
I was coming into the last year of my contract and I was expecting them to speak to me about extending it because I'd been there, what, 12 years? I was happy, thought things were going pretty well. And um, they basically said that due to a couple of reasons, one being finance, they would struggle to offer me another contract. So at that point they were thinking, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, we'll see if there's anyone that's really interested uh, to take you um, and they can obviously pay a transfer fee for you. And um, that's what happened. Um, so there was a couple of, I think Norwich had made an offer which was not back. And then we got a phone call from my agent when we were on holiday actually to say Sunderland had made an offer that the club had accepted. Um, and then it was obviously down to me to, to go and speak to them and see what, um, what they had to say. Mate, you're a hero to me. As a fellow Valsport wearer, getting a move to an English Premiership <laughs> yes. wearing Valsports, mate. Fair play to you. <laughs> oh, mate, see when it's wet, it's like oh, wearing Timberland with the Engels, oh, they're so heavy. They were so comfortable at the time, though, honestly. We were a good company, I'm trying to think who else Big wore Sutton them. Wore them. Yeah, uh -huh. that was good enough for me if he wore them, that's good enough for me. <laughs> but was it, was it sad to leave Aberdeen? Obviously, it was, captain yeah. and team you Aye, it was, because you'd been there a long time. Um, and um, it's all that you know. So as much as I was excited about going, trying something else, um, there was part of you that, yeah, you're leaving, changing room that you really enjoyed, club, team. And the club is, there's a lot of good people at that club and it's still the, the case now that you do get looked after well. Can you remember the, the day you left and last time you drove away from Petodre? Uh Well, it was funny because, same again, it was during the close season, so I did have to go in and get my, but the initial when I came back from holiday, got the train down, Sunderland, um, obviously did the medical, which <laughs> uh, that wasn't as plain sailing as probably should have been. Um, and then once everything is signed, then you have to come back up and then you do go in and get all your boots and everything. So, um, but yeah, it just it is what it is. You just get on with it. Mm -hmm. And did you meet Roy Keane? Did you speak to him before you went down there? Or? I spoke to him before I went down there on the phone. Um, uh, that had been a cheery chat, was it? He was fine, actually. Um, it was a good phone call, positive. Um, told us about what he wanted to do. Obviously, they had a really good season. Um, from the point that he took over, I think they were bottom of the league. Um, got them playing really well and had a really successful season. Uh, so they were coming up, basically, on a, a wave of enthusiasm and optimism about the, the following season. Um, and it was a good team. Sorry, a good time to be at the club. Um, facilities were unbelievable. Yeah, massive club. Especially yeah. coming from Aberdeen, didn't have a training ground or anything. You're going down there, seeing the size of the stadium, the kind of crowds they could get. It was a different level, yeah. And was he telling you you were going down there to play, starter? No, but I think he just said that you come down there and prove yourself and you'll get an opportunity, which is all that you want to hear, to be honest. Um, and I knew that he was signing a lot of players as well, because he obviously felt that they needed to strengthen for going into the the new season and um, so as much as I felt like I had a chance to I, I didn't think I was going down there nailed on to start and that. Yeah. And uh, what was it, can I ask the first time you seen him properly lose it? Um, I think it must have taken a little while to be honest and then when it when it did um, uh, <laughs> he can lose it um, but I think initially like you're just concentrated on pre-season so it is the first couple of weeks are always slightly different it's um, the conditioning side of it for the, the way to, to speak about it but aye he, um, he could lose it yeah uh, was it frustrating obviously the injuries that you got when, when you went down there yeah that was probably most of my I think I was down in England for just short of five years and I played 50 games so um, aye it was it was just when you thought you might be getting somewhere after being injured, then you would break down again, and you'd have to go through the hole. I mean, there's plenty of people being in the same boat as me, so they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Was he fine, mate, with the injuries, or would he? He was okay. I think he, at times you, you can get frustrated only because you've signed someone, actually, and they're no use to you. Um, so I can understand that completely, but the second time I did my cruciate, actually, he did come in and find me, because I, I did it when I was on loan at Burnley. I came back to Sunderland, and he actually came and found me in the treatment room and um, he was, he was good. Um, so I think there, 
I think there are times as a manager when you can get frustrated if players uh, keep breaking down. Um, but overall, no, he was he was good. See, when you keep breaking down like that, does it, does it ever cross your mind just to chuck it? Once or twice it did, yeah. Uh -huh. What kept you going? Uh, probably kids and wife. Because um, if you don't do that, what are you going to do? And I, I still kind of felt that oh, I'm too young to kind of chuck it. I've still got a few years left in me, so why not? You're still contracted, and the physios are always really positive. Phys, um, at Sunderland, um, even at Derby when I was there, and strength and conditioning guys. So, and I think that's a big part of being someone like that. That they need to have that right mentality to try and get boys through when they can be a bit low. Um, was it be loan spell at Derby? Did that get your love back for it? Um, well, it was. It was more than a loan spell. I'd come into the. What was it, the third year of my contract? It was just after Christmas time. Steve Bruce was the manager. I'd just got fit. I'd been out for about, I think it was another six months. And I'd done all the rehab. I was back in training and I was feeling good. Um, but I kind of knew deep down that I'd been out that long that I'd struggled to get any kind of game time at Sunderland. And uh, true enough, Steve Bruce pulled me in and said, look, you're looking fine. We've had a couple of people um, interested in, in taking you and you're not going to play here. So I think probably best for you to go and play elsewhere, which I completely agreed with. Hardly played any first-team football. Um, so I um, terminated my contract at Sunderland and went to Derby for a three-month contract just to the end of the season. So I went down there initially hoping just to try and get fit and get my name out there, put myself in the shop window. Um, and Derby were struggling a bit at that point. They were up against it, they were threatened with relegation. So we stayed up that season. I played most of the games that I went down, so they offered me a two-year deal off the back of it. And at that point, yeah, that's when we, uh, we all moved down to Derby. So. After Derby, were you surprised to hear from Craigie Brun? Not really. He um, phoned me the summer before I came back, actually, to ask if I was interested in going back. And at that point, we'd just moved the kids again, school, and I still felt like I had someone to kind of prove down in England because I hadn't had a proper crack at it. So I politely declined and said, look, I want to give Derby one more shot. Um, but she was fine with because he's the nicest man in football. Craig Brown, is he? Uh, huh? <laughs> he is. Um, and uh, got injured, what was it, just before Christmas time. Um, and it was bad enough that I was going to be out near enough for the rest of the season. So um, the manager at the time, Nigel Clough, phoned and said, look, when the board find out that you're probably not going to be able to play again this season, they're going to try and come to some kind of agreement with you. Um, true enough, I got a phone call about half an hour later. So he was just prepping before <laughs> it and just saying, look, can we come to some sort of arrangement? So at that point there, I'm thinking, well, if I terminate my contract, where am I going? What am I doing? Because I still, I was not long after having an operation, so I need, needed the rehab. So I phoned Aberdeen the physio there, Sharpie, um, who's <laughs> um, probably spent more time with him at, um, over the years than I have with my wife. Because I knew if I could get fit, he was probably my best chance of doing it. And also, eldest one was just coming into secondary school and I thought, well, we've been moving him about a little while now. I think we'll just go back up to Aberdeen and we'll settle them into school again. Sharpie said, yes, he would look after me, uh, try and rehab me. But just as a favour, at that point, I wasn't getting offered a contract or anything. Um, and then I spoke to Craig Brown and he said, well, absolutely. If, um, if Sharpie's fine with it, then yeah, you can use the facilities. Um, Sharpie can try and get you fit and then basically we'll see what happens off the back of it. Um, so Sharpie was good enough, good to his word. He got me fit and I got a, a contract off the back of it. Brilliant. See how you say Craig Brown, everyone, he's obviously a great manager, but what is it he does it so good? Because I can't imagine him being on a training ground and and taking training, well, does he? Towards the end, it wasn't him that was taking training. I think it was Archie that took everything. Oh, yeah. um, and I remember Craig saying that. That was the when Aberdeen came calling for them and he was at Motherwell. I think they were obviously on a good thing there. They were doing well enough. Um, and I think Archie maybe needed a little bit more convincing about coming back up here because they were doing so well at Motherwell. And I think that was one of the, that was one of the things that he said, well, I want to take training as Archie did, so Archie did near enough all the training. Um, Craig would take it occasionally, um, but like I say, it was really Archie that did the training. Why is he so good at it, Craig? Um, 
His man management was good. I think some people would think, because, like I say, he's, he's, really, he's a nice man, but you shouldn't really mistake that niceness for softness, you know what I mean? He's got an edge to him that he needed to make. You're not going to be in football that long without being able to make decisions and have an edge. Um, so he knew right decisions to make, and if he had to make difficult decisions, he, he didn't have any issue with that at all. Yeah. Um, but no, he just he, he just treated people really well. Sad that it never worked out for, for him really at Aberdeen. Um, yeah, I think he, oh Christ, when he took over from them, they were in a hell of a position. They, for me, looking at the outside looking in, they would have got relegated that season. Um, and he stabilised them, got them away quite comfortably from relegation by the end of the season. Um, I think he probably is slightly disappointed that they didn't kick on more the following seasons. Mm-hmm. And then Derek McInnes comes in. Aye. How good was he for you, playing re- get, get you back playing regularly? Yeah. Um, I think, again, there was a lot of good stuff already there, and I think he then just took on at the next level. Um, his attention to detail... Um, I remember him saying when he first came in, all the different areas in the club, we need to make each and every one of them better. If you do that, then you'll provide a better environment for the players to actually play better. Um, and he did that. Um, the training was good, professional and everything he did. Um, and he actually signed some good players as well, which is a massive part of management, being able to pick out a, a player and sign him and get him um, gelled into the team as well. Um, so, no, he's got a very impressive record since he's come into the club. Eh? So you're not surprised how well he's done? Not really, no. no. I think it's going to be more and more difficult with every passing season now because Rangers are back and um, Celtic have got resources that Aberdeen can't compete with. You've got Hibs and Hearts now back in the league. Um, but he proved again last season, even with all those clubs in there, that he can still and put out a competitive team. Um, and each and every season, he's lost one or two big players at that time. Jacko, Johnny, Niall for a bit, um, Kenny McLean this summer. And he's, he's managed to um, replace them. Um, but it's, I don't think it's an easy task to do that. All the managers, who would you take the most from it all then? Um, can I sit in the fence? After this interview, Steve Patterson. <laughs> Can I sit on the fence? No, come on, um, tell us. No. Probably, I would say, Derek McInnes. I would say. Yeah. Aye. Okay. Uh, the League Cup won 2014. That must have been a, a dream for you as, a, as an Aberdeen boy. Yeah. Because um, I thought, Christ, I've been playing football 20 years and I've not won a thing. Kieran Cup. Gen- well, uh-huh. aye. Other than the <laughs> Kieran Cup. Um, so I genuinely thought, as much as I came back to Aberdeen to get fit and try and be successful, when you come back, you're just trying to concentrate on getting fit to start with. Um, so as much as you're trying to win things, when you've been doing it that long and you haven't had a chance to get, it's been a long time since I'd even been in a final. Um, it was, a, it was a nice kind of end to my career, I should say. Um, and it was, everything about that game was weird because of the, obviously being at Parkhead rather than Hamden, I think it was because of the Commonwealth Games, was it? Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we'd sold 40 odd thousand tickets, which is unbelievable, don't know if that'll ever happen again. Um, so there were a lot of things about it that um, just made it slightly different. Um, and the game itself was shite. Was it? <laughs> um, it was poor. I remember Inverness having a game that week, because they'd had a fixture backlog. I think they'd played on the Wednesday before the game mm-hmm. on the Sunday. Um, I remember John Hughes mentioning that, that they'd had a lot of games, and um, he was trying to obviously psychologically put all the pressure back on us. And it, They didn't open up at all in the game. Uh, we lost Johnny Hayes in the first five minutes, and that season Johnny was a big player for us, so there wasn't much incident, to be honest. Um, came down to penalties, and... Uh, that was probably the best bit about it, to be honest. Mm. You didn't seem me, strike me as a guy that gets nervous before games. But were you nervous before, aren't you? Um, probably not any more than I had been. I was probably more nervous the semi-final. Right. Because I think the semi-final, you're that close to it, but you can also be that far away from it that you're 
Um, so no, I was probably more nervous in the semi-final than I was the final. Would that have been your best part of your career? Best bit of your career? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Back to Aberdeen after it? Yes, um, bus journey back up the road. By the time we got cleared up at Parkhead, we actually got a call from someone to say that the road, because of that many people down, um, I think there'd been an accident or something. So it was gridlock going up normal way to Aberdeen. So we went across to Edinburgh, went up that way. Um, stopped at Tesco. Baz had, um, Barry Robson had lost the shooting competition the day before. So the usual thing was, are oh, you taking something the following week or something? So Baz basically paid for all the booze on the bus. Um, and if you know how tight Baz is, <laughs> you'll know that he wasn't happy with that. Um, so we got back to Aberdeen about half past 10. There was other people not getting back up there till midnight because they'd been stuck in traffic. So um, I had a right good bus journey back up the road. It was decent. We sing song, we sing song and yeah. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah. Brilliant. Um, when did you know it was time to hang up the boots? The season, I knew that, was it that season? Yeah. I'd been playing, cartilage had been damaged a little bit um, that season. And um, there was games where I was fine. And then the following week, it was filled up with fluid and it would settle down again. So you managed to get through it, it was okay. But went away for a close season. And that was the problem we had. That because we were going into the first round of the qualifying, I think we only had about two weeks off in the summertime. Then you're straight back in. So I didn't have any time for it to settle down properly. Then went into pre-season training and it would flare up now and again. Just when you thought it would settle down, out of nowhere, I wouldn't be able to train for a couple of sessions. So first game of the season against St Johnston, I think I did my knee properly then. So I went in to get it tidied up. And then I was doing the rehab from that and then it just went wrong. My knee was fine, but I kept tearing my calves, like both of them. Um, So I had four calf tears in about eight weeks. And every time you did the rehab and you think, well, this shouldn't be happening, you go out for a jog, a sim- simple jog around the pitch, and you tear your calf again. So at that point there, I thought, right, enough's enough. My body's telling me that I can't do it anymore. So I told the manager, actually, at Christmas time, I was thinking of chucking it there, and he said, well, at least give yourself a chance to try and get fit. You never know. So he was good enough. He was really good at that point. Um, so I spent the rest of the season just trying to get fit, to be honest. Um, played a couple of 20s games towards the end of the season. Played the last game of the season, but by that time I'd already made my mind up and I'd announced it that I was hanging the boots up. Um, so I kind of knew, like I say, that spell, that six, eight week spell when I just couldn't actually do it again. Um, I decided that was it. Mm-hmm. They calf tears are carrying the valve sports a bit, the heavy valve sports. You've seen my calves as well, like pipe cleaners. <laughs> um, I never had the best pair of calves anyway. So. It's been brilliant, but um, how would you look back on your Aberdeen career? Um, I loved it actually. Um, could have had a lot more success, I'm guessing, because we had some dark days, early doors, but loved every single part of it. Um, and especially the bit towards the end, where I probably wasn't expecting it, that was probably the most enjoyable time. Um, so no, overall, I wouldn't change it. Brilliant. And these days, assistant manager at Fort Martin, how are you enjoying it? Waterboy. Um, Waterboy. <laughs> well, I haven't got any coaching badges, I told you that. Uh-huh. Um, enjoying it, yeah, I wasn't expecting it. Um, and I kind of said that before, that it wasn't really a route I was looking to go down. But when um, Paul got the job, he obviously asked if I wanted to, to come in and help him out, and I couldn't say no to him. So, But no, it's been good. A good set of boys. Um, we were successful enough last season. We won a couple of cups, um, but we were still quite a way back off. Cove, who finished obviously clear winners in the league, so and so far it's been good. Going for the league this year, though. Well, I think when you start the season, we'll, we'll get the team the sheet out and see how many points we can get. Hundred and four. Hundred and fifty. But no, I think. I mean, Cove are going to be there at shot at. They, they were good last season. They've um, signed another couple of players again, which I think will strengthen them. So they'll be the team to beat again. Wish sure you the best, big man. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.
At Leia Healthcare, we always want to give our members more. So now you get unrestricted access to a world of benefits that will help you stay healthy. From convenient video calls with a GP to get prescriptions online, to easy access to experts when you finally want to do something about your ropey knee or dodgy back. And if you do need to see someone urgently, our clinics are available for minor injuries, all without you needing to put your hand in your pocket. Let's stay on top of your health, in every way. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Insurance provided by Ellipse Insurance Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Unrestricted benefits are available until the end of December. Fair usage policy applies. Vodafone is now Ireland's largest fibre broadband provider. We've got fibre broadband here in Dublin. Here in Clifton. And now here. We could soon be powering this podcast you're about to listen to. So you can wonder on your computer from the comfort of your own sofa. Curiosity is everywhere on Vodafone, Ireland's largest fibre broadband provider. From €30 per month, search Vodafone Gigabit Broadband. Terms apply. Subject to availability and selected areas. Average speeds based on Comrade Market Share Data Q1 2020. New customers only. Subject to 12-month contract. Offer ends 22nd of November 2020. See Vodafone.ie forward slash fixed terms for full terms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 